you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ Bucky back with you. Buck, how's it going, bud? Man, everything is good. Can't complain, DJ. Like, this is crazy. Uh, outstanding football weekend ahead. Uh, we have the playoff implication games where the teams are trying to get into the postseason. It's a lot of win and go home games, which I love to absolutely watch. And then later on, in the, I mean, during the course of the weekend, we get the college football playoff. And I don't really care about the playoff, but I care about the prospects that are in the playoff. Yes, exactly. So it's a great weekend. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Those uh, those semifinal games are going to be a lot of fun. Uh, on the college side, we've got some big NFL games, which we're going to get into today about some of these big NFC playoff games. On the next episode, we'll uh, we'll preview a little bit of that AFC, uh, what the weekend's going to look like there. Want to talk about the uh, the Bills and the Chiefs? What we saw, you know, from the Bills, can they close that gap a little bit with the mm. Kansas City Chiefs? Seems like the Bills are playing really well. The Chiefs are kind of just getting by and, and look a little bit bored. Uh, we're going to air a little bit of uh, our interview that we had previously with Coach Urban Meyer, whose name has come up with some of these head coaching openings. Would that make sense? Do you like that? Do you not like that? Uh, so we'll have some some fun with that uh, as well. But I, I say we start right here with that uh, conversation on the Bills. Um, are, are you buying them as somebody that could not only you know give the Chiefs a, a game, but somebody that could actually get through the Chiefs? I think they look really good right now, and I think they're playing their best football. The thing that I'm kind of reluctant to jump all the way in on, I need to see Josh Allen in the postseason because the game is so much different in the postseason than it is in the regular season. It speeds up. Um, and because it speeds up and everything is quick and has he matured enough to kind of handle that last year, we saw in the playoff game against the Houston Texans, it got a little fast for him at the end and he kind of reverted back. I just want to see, has he matured enough to get them over the hump? I think he has a better supporting cast around him. Stefan Diggs makes a world of difference because he was absolutely wearing out JC Jackson. Um, and I think, I think that matters because to have a guy that you know that you can go to when all the chips are down, I think that certainly helps him. But I think this team is certainly trending in the right direction. But I think the pressure in the playoffs is a little different. And I just want to see that their quarterback can handle it. He's passed all the tests with flying colors. That's the only reservation I have in terms of in this matchup, it comes down to quarterbacks. Can Josh Allen outdo a Pat Mahomes if the game breaks out into a shootout like that? And I actually see that happening. I know uh, the Chiefs are not coming off their best offensive performance, but they're going to have at least one, maybe two weeks of rest. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're going to be fresh and ready to roll here as the only team that gets a bye, which is a huge deal uh, in the AFC. I don't see them. I don't see them scoring less than 30 points, man. They're going to score. The Chiefs are going to score. So you're going to have to find your way into one of those shootouts and you're going to have to finish drives. Your Buffalo, you're going to have to absolutely finish drives, which is something they've done a good job of. Yeah, they have done a great job of. And I think we called that Thursday night game when the Buffalo Bills took on the Kansas City Chiefs and Steve Spagnuolo hit Josh Allen with all kinds of stuff and he didn't really handle it well. So has he gotten better from that point to where we would see them potentially match up in the AFC, maybe the AFC championship game? I think that's the thing. But I do believe when you're facing the Kansas City Chiefs, you might as well already look up at the scoreboard and know that they have 30 and that you're not going to beat them. 
you're not going to beat them if you can't put 30 plus on the board. And so your offense has to have enough gears and explosiveness to be able to get that kind of production. And so, yeah, you're going to be forced to play an offensive game in theory because you're going to have to continue to put points on the board. And if we go back to that game, which, again, we did we did call that one for Amazon. Uh, if you remember, the Chiefs just ran it down their throats because the Bills were content trying to keep the ball in front of them like a lot of teams have mm-hmm. done against Kansas City Chiefs. And the Chiefs were incredibly patient and just took the run game and just, just marched it right down the field. Yeah, and I, I don't think that strategy was flawed because the game was very tight and competitive uh, into the fourth quarter. The Bills, in my mind, even though uh, Clyde Ewazolar in the running game was going bonkers, they still had it under control. The thing will be the second time around, will the Bills employ a similar strategy? Because, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs have seen that. So they'll have a counter to your tactics. So what is your counter to their counter tactics? I, you know, it's, it's a great chess match. But I will say this, the Buffalo Bills have improved, and this is a team that has steadily improved each and every week. And when you see them play and you see them take care of business the way they took care of business against the Patriots, I think it speaks volumes about the maturity of this team. Like they are a focused bunch and Bill's mafia has to be excited about the potential that this team has. Yeah. They, they ended up forcing a couple field goals in that first game I actually did hold the chiefs under 30, but if you remember the weather was terrible, was terrible in that game. Um, and it just, again, it felt like even though the game was close, it just felt like the chiefs were kind of in control of the game at all times. Yeah. They were controlling the fight. They were keeping them at bay with the jab. They could, they know they they could probably score, Get the big power punch whenever they want it. The yardage buck, 466 to 206. I mean, yeah, it feel like it was that close of a game. And and the, and that's the thing, because the thing isn't about the Bills' defense, is what is the Bills' offense going to be able to do against that unit? And I'm not saying that the Chiefs' defense, they're world beaters, but they play a unique style because they know they're always playing from in front. So they can be a little more creative. They can be a little more exotic and take some – heavy blitz chances because they know, hey, if we give up one, it doesn't matter our offense to go and get it back. That is a scary defense to face when you're having to deal with that kind of stuff. And so Buffalo has to improve offensively in this matchup uh, that would take take place if they had to face the Chiefs again. Yeah, no doubt. Um, but again, it does look like that's where we're headed potentially in the AFC Championship game. The one team I'm telling you, I just I know they've had injuries and they're missing Ronnie Stanley and uh, hey, a lot of other DJ. key pieces. I'm telling you, man, they have nothing to lose. Baltimore has nothing to lose. So, DJ, to me, I think they get in. Are they the fifth seed or the sixth seed? I I, I can tell I you that because it, it's all it's all jumbled up. It's, it's all it's all uh, it's all TBD. I mean, depending on what so happens here. I will say this about the Buffalo Bills: the Buffalo Bills don't necessarily need to see the Baltimore Ravens. They're six. They're the sixth seed right now. Okay, so that means they would probably play the three seed. Yeah, they would play Pittsburgh. It would be Baltimore Pittsburgh. And they uh, for the third time, for third time. Oh, that'd be a great game. But Baltimore is complex, and and Baldy did a great job on Twitter on Baldy's breakdown. He was talking. He showed some of the things that they're doing with the run game in terms of like all of the stuff. You know, they've gone to spreading it out, but they're retaining the physicality because they're running uh, what we call the power scheme and the counter scheme, and they're pulling the backside guard and tackle with the running back going opposite, and Lamar Jackson potentially reading the defensive end and going oh. back with the pullers. And all of the eye candy with the deceptive motion and the pullers and all that, if you're not on your game, they will absolutely bludgeon you. And Lamar Jackson's ability to not only run it at times, but to give it and to read it and do all these things, they present a lot of problems. And I think they've also embraced who they are. 
Yeah. Let's quit trying to throw the ball all over the lot and trying to show people that we can do these things. We are a downhill physical run game and we throw it 20 to 25 times. And if you can beat us at that, cool, but we're going to do what we do. And I think they've had a lot of success doing that. And as I've told you before, all aboard the Gus bus. I mean, I am a, I'm a Gus Edwards guy. I think he fits the identity mm-hmm. of that team more so than any of the other runners. And I and I, I love what J.K. Dobbins is doing. He, to me, is kind of that perfect complement there. But with yeah. Lamar Jackson, I, I think averaging over six yards a carry, you've got over five yards a carry for Gus Edwards and for J.K. Damn. Dobbins. So the, the, and, you can do is you can shorten the game in the postseason when you do that. And that's what they're able to do. And and the thing that they've done with J.K. Dobbins is put him in the slot and have him come in motion and run some of those fly sweep things and and do some of that creative run game stuff that, man, is just so much eye candy because they shift, they motion, and then they come and they hit you with this old school gap scheme. And, man, if your guys blink or hesitate or pause, they're getting gashed. And so we saw them take a part, a New York Giants team, where the score wasn't nearly as close as the game was because they dominated that game, uh, particularly on the ground. This is a tough team, and it's a team that I don't think anybody really wants to face. Let me go back to that playoff game where they got bludgeoned by the Titans last year. Lamar Jackson threw the ball 59 times. Yeah, and it happened. Know who you are. Know, know who you are and what your formula is. I think they've made that mistake the last two postseasons. Last two postseasons, Buck, they had the bullseye on their chest. Now they enter this with absolutely nothing to lose. No if pressure. You know are, they're, they're telling you that's not an easy out. Nah, no, no, no pressure on them at all. Like they're playing with house money when they get in. And so uh, another matchup with the Pittsburgh Steelers, those matchups have been very competitive. And remember, they played them with the JV team. They didn't have anybody. Yeah. And kept it competitive. That doesn't ensure that it's going to be the same or a different result next time. But I know they have a lot of confidence going into that one if that's the matchup. And then anybody else, I just believe that they feel like they, their running game is their superpower, and that gives them an opportunity to, to knock off anybody. Before we get to some of these other games here, I, I do want to bring up this point, which is I, I don't know if anybody's really thought about this or talked about this. It's amazing. We've made it almost. we got one week to go here. We'll have played every single game on the NFL schedule. I don't know if anybody, even the most optimistic person, would have thought at the beginning of the season with what you're dealing with as a country and as a, as a world right now with this pandemic, we wouldn't miss a single game. So kudos to the NFL for being able to pull this off. Maybe some games you might not have some receivers. You might miss in a quarterback here, but we're playing games, man. They did not miss a single game, which is incredible to me. But we still have the postseason to go. And you think about some of these games and you're, you know, you're the Kansas City Chiefs or you're one of these teams that feels like, you know, the Green Bay Packers. And all of a sudden you take one of your best players and a positive test shows up on a, on a Wednesday or a Thursday of a game week. Man, it, it can change this whole thing. We've never seen anything like the unpredictability of this upcoming postseason. No, we haven't. And I know there have been the stare down where they were trying to get the bubble in place for the playoffs. And I think the NFLPA kind of shot that down. But I do believe and I've seen this and DJ, you've seen it with teams. There are things where teams and teammates make packs in the postseason. Hey, here's yeah. how we're going to approach it. I wouldn't be surprised to see some of these teams go into a voluntary bubble to protect themselves against themselves to yeah. say, Hey, here's what we're going to do for the next few weeks. We're going, everyone's going to pitch in. We're going to stay in this hotel. We're going to go from hotel to whatever. And we're going to be focused on being the best that we can be and getting ready to win a Super Bowl title. I don't think that's an unreasonable ass, particularly after hearing what Cam Newton said after the game where he hadn't seen his kids in the last three months yeah. because of what he's trying to do. I absolutely believe that you can make a sacrifice for three to four weeks to make sure that you're doing the best thing possible to put your team in a position to win a Super Bowl. 
Uh, no doubt. I, I think it's actually a really smart idea. Some team would be wise to to take your advice on that one. Um, as we look at some of these other games here, I want to start with this first one with the Cardinals and the Rams. Um, we'll see what happens there. Goff not going to play. Hoping they, they're hoping he can return in time for the playoffs. But right now it's going to be John Wolford. And I'll be honest with you, I do 400 guys or whatever every year for the draft. He wasn't one of the ones I did. I was not told that he was a draftable player, um, so I did not evaluate him. Now, everybody knows he went to the AAF and played well for the Arizona Hotshots. So I've got some connections to that organization when they existed and talked to somebody that was on that coaching staff and said, hey, give me a little scouting report on uh, on Mr. Walford. So here's what I got back. Super smart. He's excellent R- RPOs. Accurate, short to intermediate. He's small. He's not real strong or rugged in the pocket. Needs to be clean there or kept on the move. Uh, did a great job. Um, he's great in the classroom. Probably a short-term backup in the NFL due to his size. He can play well for a game. Just the, the size would be an issue um, going forward for a long stretch of time. But they don't need him for the whole season. They need him for one game here. Yeah, they need him for one game. And I I do see the athleticism. I saw some of the stuff from when he played in the preseason for the Rams. He can get on the move. He is a nice fit in terms of what they want to do with that stretch bootleg system. I think if you're Sean McVay, you make that really the, the emphasis, the priority. I think you emphasize that. They're not really an RPO team because they're t- one of the teams that really operates under the center. But maybe they put some of that stuff in. I do worry a little bit about the size. DJ, he does look he does look a little, a little tiny. You know? <laughs> um, and in the preseason, I think, is one thing. But as you know, they're putting him in in week 17, and we talk about the different speeds of the NFL. There's one thing from preseason to regular season. He's jumping in when it's playoff speed because everything is on the line. The speed, the physicality, and intensity that he will face in this game, man, you're talking about three, four times what it was in the preseason. And the Cardinals are a team that love to heat you up. Yeah. We'll see because it has to be really quick. And Sean McVay will have to be – it would have to be the best game that he calls to protect a quarterback that may be overwhelmed just by all of what he is facing, the magnitude of the game, the speed of the game, and also the pressure tactics from the opponent. And what a what a crusher this would be, by the way, for the Arizona Cardinals. After the week before losing to C.J. Beathard, you turn around and two got to have a games. If you lose to CJ Beathard and John Wolford back to back weeks, I mean, you don't deserve it. You, you just, you just flat no, out. You don't deserve it. it. And, he, and here's the thing, the San Francisco 49ers put a game plan in place that the, for the Rams can take. I think we're going to see any, I think we're seeing any uh, that Ninja blitz, that little slot blitz this week. You might see some of that. <laughs> Absolutely. And so I think, I think you'll see those things. And from an offensive standpoint, Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, similar systems, work together, know each other. I mean, I think you'll see a lot of what the Niners are able to do to get that run game cranked. The Cardinals will see that again. And so we'll see if they're able to do it. They have to have enough balance just to stave off some of the pressure. But, yeah, this is a huge game. And so it's interesting to see how this plays out. And then you're dealing with an Arizona Cardinal team who also has an injury, an undisclosed lower leg injury to Kyler Murray that we saw on that like the final play, the final series of the game. What is that if he's not available? They also have to go into the game with their backup quarterback. Well, which gets me to the – I mean, we, we're not going to go through all these individual games, but you look at the Cowboys and the Giants where uh, Daniel Jones has not been healthy coming down the stretch. Obviously, the Cowboys have been playing with Andy Dalton. Um, you look at the Cardinals-Rams we just touched on. Um, I mean, it's it, it's interesting to me that so many of these teams are coming down the stretch here and having to rely on backup 
quarterbacks. It's crazy. I mean, that's that's three big games with the with the Cowboys, Giants, uh, Washington um, is. I mean, who are they playing with? Heineke it could be playing. This yes, game. who was signed in December? Who was taking classes at Old Dominion? Yeah, um, prepping, and he is just starting quarterback in a win or go home game. And three teams, three teams in the NFC relying on uh, on backups this week. Backup, and so and so then here here's the thing because obviously you always kind of jump in like, but why do you engage? And I can't help it because I just get angry on Twitter sometimes. I just get angry because I just see the stuff and I'm like, man, we always talk about the quarterback position and how important it is. And then some teams opt to keep the starting quarterback comfortable by bringing in a mentor or a coach or someone that's non-threatening. But inevitably, they got the play. backup quarterback has to play. And when I talk about the investment in the position, I'm not only talking about money like, hey, get the best backup and pay him accordingly because it is a very important position. I think you can say that he is – you should treat this QB2 like an additional starter because he is very important. I mean, he holds the franchise's hopes in his hands when he goes on the field. But then you also don't want to invest a, a top draft pick in him because you're like, oh, we wasted pick. We could have got another weapon. Well, he is a valuable weapon because if he plays, you need him to be a productive player. So invest in a young guy who is talented enough that you see potentially being a starter, develop him and giving him opportunity. So if he does play, he can be successful. And so I just would like to see everybody, if we talk about quarterback and how important it is, well, man, let your actions equate to what your words are. Drafting him, investing him, give him reps, give him reps in practice during the week so he can be fully prepared to play when he gets his opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I think of some of these teams that have been uh, perennial playoff teams, right? And I'll just give you a few of them off the top of my head here. When we look at like the Pittsburgh Steelers, go back to the Charlie Batch, um, you know, days. Byron Leftwich. Byron Leftwich. They had Charlie Batch and Byron Leftwich. They've always had quality guys. The Ravens, even now, you look at RG3 was what, the number two pick in the draft? Um, He's got talent. He's got ability. Um, You go through uh, some of these other ones that are perennial playoff teams. The Patriots have always had, you know, guys that know that offense inside out that can play. Kansas City last year, Matt Moore. Yeah. Matt Moore played. Started a lot of games in this league. started, Started a lot of games in the league. And so it's not, oh, it's a throwaway position. I just want someone who is another set of eyes. Like, no, I want someone who can play. Yeah. Someone who can play, has talent. Jameis Winston is the Saints' third-string quarterback. Double <laughs> DJ, yeah. Teddy Bridgewater. Look, so look, the Saints had Teddy Bridgewater, Taysom Hill behind Drew Brees. Yeah. Starter, starter quality players. Don't go in and just settle for like, oh, we didn't have anybody else, so we're just going to pluck a guy off the street and, oh, well. Look how, look how it worked out for Tennessee. Look how it worked out for Tennessee last year. Uh, yeah. I mean, or was it two years ago, I guess, when, when Tannehill took over from Mariota? Bring him in. Last year. Talented. Bring him in. Yeah. Bring in a talented player. Well, let's just see what happened when the Raiders this year with Marcus Mariota. We yeah. call that game. He comes in the game, and I, I would say that they played better because he gave him a different dimension because he's a high-end player. Yeah. Invest in a high-end player. I, I love the feel-good stories and those things, and I understand the challenges of the position and all of the cerebral nature, but I want someone who can actually play, play the game and play it at a high level. Yeah, and, and look, the Eagles have always done it. If you go back, they've always invested in the backup. Going back to, the, you know, with Kevin Cobb behind uh, McNabb, and they've always had another guy waiting in the wings. They paid Chase Daniel, you know, when Chase Daniel could still play, you know, yes. several years ago, he was making good money as a backup. Then they drafted Jalen Hurts, which, you know, could end up, 
being their quarterback of the future here going forward. They won a dang Super Bowl with Nick Foles. So they've always believed in in that. And Andy Reid has always had that philosophy. And I think that's what stayed behind, you know, after he left. But it is amazing to me that you would not think um, you know, you're you're paying your swing tackle more than you're paying your backup quarterback. It's it, 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 doing it, that. I know it, it, it boggles my mind. And it's funny you bring up the Andy Reid thing because I firmly believe that Andy got that from Mike Holmgren, who got it from Green Bay, um, Ron Wolf, when we were all in Green Bay, because the year that the Packers won the Super Bowl in 96 when I was on that team, the backup quarterback, Jim McMahon. Yeah. How about that? Jim McMahon was the backup quarterback, not just because of, oh, this is what we do. No. You want a legitimate guy who, look, is not too big for him. So when he's pressed in the action, he's like, okay, boys, I got this. Um, Billy Joe Tolliver was on the team for a little while. Like, I saw Todd Jason Garrett, all Jason Garrett, Garrett like, was, was Troy's backup forever. Jason Garrett, you know, could get in and, and won him games, you know, when he got out there. And, and so that's what you want. And so the investment is not only, A, let's pay him, but, okay, let's treat this position with the reverence and the importance that it is. And so Jalen Hurts being a second round pick, other teams drafting guys, even if it's a long-term thing, like why are we worried about like, it's a second round pick, but second round pick in, in grade stuff says, okay, this guy can be a potential starter down the line. Well, guess what? Your backup quarterback is a potential starter. If the back, if the QB one goes out, I, want you to, I mean, I, I give the Cowboys credit for Andy Dalton. I mean, their record's not going to be great, but they got a really good chance to potentially win that division, and they will have won the division because they invested in Andy Dalton. That, and that, and, and that is and that is the overarching point. Like, sure. have someone who is ready to play who can do it. Uh, functional. Just give me a functional guy. I mean, d- let's t- let's talk about Miami. Fitzpatrick, Tua, whoever is the back of whatever. It's the two-headed system, but. Fitzpatrick, can come I, I know, I know, I know. We're going to get to the AFC tomorrow, but I want to bring this up with you because I have a question. This was posed to me. I'm not my opinion. I want to preface this. This is not my opinion, but this question was posed to me. Watching what we're seeing with Tua right now, are you at all worried that this is Matt Leinart? Might be. Might be. Yeah. I mean, it could I mean? I, th- I think is it. It's, now go it's, back and remind people about Matt at SC. Go back because I don't think. Okay, so we, so we, so when we go back and look at Matt Liner, I gave Matt Liner a big grade. I gave him a big grade I, too. When I looked at Matt Liner, I said, and I, I'm like without, I paraphrase my report. I said there would be no one more ready to handle the responsibilities of being a franchise quarterback than Matt Liner. He did it on a big stage in Hollywood with all eyes on him, and he flourished. The biggest stage, him. And so, in the meeting though, I remember Dan Henning distinctly challenging me on my report and saying, well, Bug, look at who he's surrounded by. Look at that offensive line. Look at all the first and second rounders that he's playing with. He has a first and second rounder in the backfield behind him and Reggie Bush and Lindell White. Look at the wide receivers on the outside. Kerry Colbert and Steve Smith and all those guys. He was like, Mike Williams, who? He said, who couldn't play quarterback in this system and put up numbers? Look at that offensive line. It's a fortress. He's playing with pros against a college team. And maybe it, it played out because maybe Matt didn't handle all the stuff that he needed to handle off the field and all that other stuff. But, yeah, like there is something. You, can, you something grade the production it. versus the player, like basically saying the talent. Yes. Like if we just strip all that away and just focus on the talent, I'm not ready to throw it in. I, I, I'm not ready to throw it in on two. I think he's still got a chance to be really good. But it, when I got that text message, I did think about it. I did think about it for a second and say there are some similarities there because individual skill-wise, not an overpowering arm. Not a you know special special athlete was surrounded yeah. by an all star team at college. 
And now all of a sudden he's not making some of these throws, not not attempting he, some of them. So he's had, I, I don't know. He's had a, so it's also I would say the Mad Liner thing, but let's also throw the Alex Smith thing in a little bit in terms of Alex Smith's biggest thing that always held him was it got to a point where he just didn't want to turn the ball over. Yeah. And so he would get you to a point, but he couldn't get you over the hump because he wouldn't pull the trigger. So this is top gun. All right. Yeah. So P- Pat Mahomes is yeah. maverick. He <laughs> hasn't seen anything. And meanwhile, Alex Smith is ice man. He's yeah. ice. He won't pull the trigger. Not yet. Not yet. I got him in sights. Not yet. Yeah. And so with Tua, Tua's reluctance to try and fit the ball into tight windows has helped the Dolphins win games because he hasn't turned it over. Whereas Fitzpatrick may be a little more he didn't reckless. have a crap. He didn't have a gear crap button. That thing's busted on Fitzpatrick. He just let right. it. And and so and so it, it goes. But I, I still say this, and we got into the discussion with Rhett yesterday on, on the pod. I I think you have to let Tua work through these issues though. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. You know, how do you know? What are we gonna wait till next year to see it? Like, I mean, when are we ever gonna do it? When are we gonna take the training wheels off the bike? Well. Yeah, and I mean, to me, look, the ultimate goal is to win a championship. So in order to win a championship, hopefully it's going to be because the guy you picked up there in the top five is going to emerge as the leader and the guy that's going to be that guy. So let's let him take some of those lumps now with the with the hope that we can go on and win a championship. They're not going to win a Super Bowl this year. Like, that's not happening. So let, let's keep the bigger goal in mind here, which is to get our team ready to win a championship and and always bringing in big brother when little brother's struggling. I don't know that you, you do that. I will but say I'm this. telling you, that, that, that liner thing's – that spooked me when I saw that text. It made me think. I hadn't thought about that. It, it does scare me. But I will say this, and this hadn't factored into it, and I don't know if it factors into Brian Flores thinking at all. It is a lot different to make the playoff push when you have the mulligan of the Houston Texans pick as a top five. That's true. Because now because now that – I mean, look, we already got a top pick, so now if we get into the playoffs from a cultural standpoint, we're trending but, in the right direction. But let me play devil's advocate on this. If you keep throwing Tua out there with these tests and he keeps failing these tests, you got the third pick. We've seen now, we've seen Josh Rosen got punted after a year. Dwayne Haskins just got punted after a year. I'm not saying that's what you should do or what. I'm just saying that it's been done twice recently. If you're sitting there at number three and you think that Trey Lance or if it's Zach Wilson, whoever else is there is an upgrade. You, you take him. I mean, that's the that's crazy to say that, but that's what recent history has told us. You are to your team, dude. Is if yeah. we talk about best player available, write that in the notebook, Buck. Take take that. I mean, they got the third pick. Ooh, that's saucy right there. <laughs> get, get the pen out. Can we get that in the notebook? <laughs> that's, Is it too late? Saucy right there. Like like before, I was ready. Like Sam Darnold versus twenty twenty one. But now it could be should it be Tua versus the twenty twenty one class based on where they're at. Okay, making me go to work. See, now. I, I, so I like I give you one. I just need one item in the notebook a month. That's all I'm. Man, like now, no, because I, I do. That's DJ, an interesting I, thought, DJ. I believe you have to do it. Like if we're we're sitting in there and we're just talking about the draft board and we have the draft board and we rank those players as it as it stands. Because I don't without even like loosely saying what the Dolphins' biggest needs are. When I look at this draft, this draft is heavy. It's offense heavy. Yeah. Super offense. Your quarterbacks, your offensive tackles, your pass catchers, all Steve those guys are there. Um, you have cornerbacks, but I think your cornerbacks are more at the top or you're more mid-first rounder types or whatever. Pass rushes, I don't think anyone is in love with like a guy at the top of the board. So you're looking at them. Yes, they need pass catcher, but we've seen it's documented. Man, I can get a pass catcher 
I can get pass catches wherever, middle, bottom of the first round, second round, I can get those guys. But a quarterback and the currency that a quarterback can potentially bring back down the line. Like, just think about that. Like, just think about, okay, Tua, here we got, let's just say Zach Wilson and Tua, we have both of them on our roster. Let's just have a quarterback competition. We're going to play the best one. And let's let's take it all the way out to 2021. Let it all the way out. And then punt on it in 2022. Like, why, why not? What if are we scared gives, of? If it gives you, if it gives you the better option at the position for the next twelve to fifteen years, it's a small price to pay. Small price to pay, and everyone will listen to this and be like, "Oh my God, you can't do it! Why not? Yeah. Why not? Why can't we double dip at the position? Because what are we talking about collectively? We have what? How much money tied up in the cap? Not much. It is yeah. a strategy that we've talked about teams doing. We said it would be bold if someone did the quarter, the college thing." where I'm going to have two young guys playing on their rookie deals. And when one guy graduates, the other guy takes over. We can't do it necessarily like that. But from a cap standpoint, DJ, that's about as economical as you can have to have two guys on rookie deals playing the quarterback position. I mean, it would be, I mean, it's not the, I don't know. Am I crazy? I haven't seen anything out. Maybe there's people have written about this. I have not seen this conversation brought up, but I think it's fascinating. I mean, double dip, give yourself an opportunity. We always talk about double up. Like you double up on positions of need. And so if you're now deeming that maybe Tua isn't the guy, well, let's double up. Let's bring in another good guy. And if the good guy can play and overwhelms and then hey, he gets the gig. Yeah. Years ago, the Seattle Seahawks did it in a way with Russell Wilson and Matt Flynn. They, they spend big money to get Matt Flynn in free agency. They bring Russell Wilson in. Russell Wilson now plays Matt Flynn. Russell Wilson is a starter. Matt Flynn has to hang in there and eventually move on. But the cost of doing business shouldn't prevent you from building the best. Russell team. Wilson was a third round pick. We're talking about the third overall pick. So that's like that changes it, like changes it a little bit. But I mean, look, we've talked about it with Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance. We believe there's four guys that have a really good shot of going in the top ten. And if you think any of those four are better than what you got right now, I think the organization you owe it to the organization at least at the minimum. You better do your due diligence on all these dudes. Um, and if you feel like it's an upgrade, you should take them. Mm-hmm. Man, that's so, so that's that's that we wouldn't even. This is the best part about the pod. It's the stuff we don't have on the on the paper here. We just kind of wow. free float and found ourselves into an interesting conversation. Um, all right, let's get to Coach Meyer here because there's been a lot of talk about Urban Meyer uh, potentially. Uh, being interested in, in one of these NFL jobs. We've had a chance to talk to him a couple times and wanted to play a little bit of a, a bite here on Urban Meyer, what he told us, uh, what a championship culture entails. Coach, obviously you're one of the more successful coaches who have ever done it in college football. You've turned around multiple programs. You've had national championships at a couple of different places. Uh, when you think about building a championship culture, what does that entail? Well, it's a lot of work. It's something that I think is one of the most overused words in the English language. I don't think people understand it. To say that I really did, I did not uh, as a young coach. And I think culture is everything. And I actually talk quite a bit on that. We teach a class in leadership. And so, for example, uh, culture to me, I know there's many definitions. Culture to me is what does your product or what does your team, what does your organization look like? What does it feel like? And what does it act like? And not necessarily when you're winning by 40 points against FAU. It's What's it look like in a rivalry game? What's it look like and feel like and act like on fourth down and two or in the stock market turns upside down? You know, and, and culture is it's got to be the vision uh, of the CEO or the man, the head coach. And you can't really ver- you can't waver on your culture. So I think it's 
it's you, you look at all successful programs. I think that's one of the reasons why Ohio State is so successful. We built a culture that survives adversity, that survives uh, early entry in the NFL draft, a coaching change. And I think culture is essential to you look at the Patriots and you can say, boy, they got a great coach. They got a great, you know, great players. Absolutely. That's true. But name someone who doesn't have a great coach and a great player in the NFL. They're all great. The thing that makes the New England Patriots unique is their culture developed by Bill Belichick is survives transition of players, survives injuries, and it's culture. Every place that you go, do you build the culture a little differently based on what the history of the program is? Or is it something that is in you that you have a core set of things that you believe in and the program kind of follows to that? Well, what a great question, and uh, I appreciate you asking, because these are, by the way, you guys are great. These are real. Sometimes I do interviews, and it's like a clown show. You know, this is <laughs> this is really good stuff. We're trying to learn, so, Coach. So building a culture, this is where the culture has to be yours. First of all, respect what was there before. However, and I, this, I'm going to give you a speech, It's you need to believe it. You need to sell it and you need to demand it. So believe it, it has to be an objective truth. For example, if I walked in a place and I said, if we throw for more yards, then the other team will win. That's a lie. That's not true. Mm-hmm. You know, the culture at Ohio State we built, I can go through it with you, is all, it's time tested. It's built on objective truths. It's built on history. It's built on experience. And I can share that with you at the end. Then you have to sell it. We're in a world right now that back when I played, your coach said, do something. You did it. Not now. We can just say this is the way it is. You have to sell it over. And we use social media. We use messaging, constantly selling our culture. And then there reaches a point with your staff and your players that you have to demand it. And if you're not living under our culture, you have to leave. And so it's believe it, sell it, demand it. The culture at Ohio State, I always had a vision and a dream that we would play fearless. And I've worked at so many places where the players were scared to make mistakes. And so my first part, we have three parts of the culture. And number one is for, it's uh, called relentless effort. The sound bite is four to six, A to B. That's the length of a play. And everybody has a point A and point B. You go as hard as you can. If you make a mistake, no problem. But that's a sound bite that I know our players had constantly going through their mind during the course of the game is, I don't care if I make a mistake. You know, you go as hard as you can. And I've had... Uh, you know, I've been criticized. Some of our teams have had penalties over the years, and I would be okay with penalties as long as it was non-effort related. Now, stupid penalties I had a problem with, but if you're going to go as hard as you can, you can't say, but don't make any mistakes because then a uh, player's in conflict. The number two is called competitive excellence, and that's in John Woodism, and that's I want you to embrace we're going to work harder than anybody else in America, and I don't want you to complain about it. I don't want you to worry about it. You know, I tell them in recruiting that you are going to be rewarded in the NFL most likely, and we're going to win. Just do what we ask you to do. It's going to be the most miserable, hard stuff you've ever done. But embrace it. And then the final piece is it's called power of the unit. And the greatest form of, I use the word inspiration instead of motivation because motivation is short-lived. Inspiration is long-lived and sustains. And it's love. The greatest form of motivation is the brotherhood. And that's used in the special forces that used in the best forms of corporate America and the best teams and the best units are those that love each other and care about each other. So that's the culture of Ohio State. How about that? I mean, that was one of our favorite interviews that we've ever done. Um, Again, those three things, four to six, A to B. I love that. Competitive excellence, power of the unit, 
uh, inspiration over motivation and, and love being kind of the key ingredient there. I've seen some people say uh, Urban Meyer wouldn't work at the NFL level. He doesn't have NFL experience. You're nuts. Urban Meyer's done, done nothing but win at the highest level. doesn't matter whether uh, he's in green, if he's at Utah, Florida, Ohio State, and guess what? It happens fast. Doesn't matter. DJ, I absolutely believe I'll be the first one to raise my hand and say Urban Meyer could absolutely get it done in the National Football League. Um, the only concern would obviously be like the health concerns that have plagued them in the past, but he is a program builder. And we talk about how important it is to have someone in their seat that can build a program because depending on the NFL job that is currently available, you have to go in there and you have to build a program. And so from a cultural standpoint, that is everybody in the building has to understand what the objectives are. And so he is very, very clear and definitive in what he believes in because he has a a proven track record. We've seen him Bowling Green, Utah, Florida, Ohio state. I have a, I have, Measurable things that I can see where he has put this into place and has been very, very successful because he has done it. He is very clear about this is how we're going to get it done. And I think that it has to be someone who doesn't have questions and concerns or hey, is this right? Should we do this? Is no, here's how we're doing it. And we're going. We may make some adjustments along the way, but I know exactly what this looks like and how we're going to be able to get it done. And I absolutely believe that he can do it. And there are a handful of other coaches that I believe could do it. I think Brian Kelly could go somewhere into the National Football League and do it. I think the name that we have talked about on this podcast, Matt Campbell from Iowa State, I think he could come in and do it because we've seen him do it. And they are what we call cultural builders. Detail. They're detail people, too. And, and, and it comes after that. And so I have the utmost confidence that if you decided to take a job, depending upon the job, that he absolutely would have success. And I think that was su- success would come pretty quickly. And I think, too, the, the odds are you're going to have somebody on your team that he coached at Ohio State because they're everywhere. Um, it's going to give you immediate credibility because you have them in the building right now. And guess what? If you don't, you can call an Alex Smith. You can call a Joey Bosa. You can call any of these guys mm-hmm. that are all over the NFL, and they will all vouch for how good this dude is. So. Um, I know, I, know there's, I know there's some things that happen. You know, obviously we know it's well documented. Some things mm-hmm. that happen there at Florida, and uh, yep. and you know you got to answer those questions and do your homework on that. But uh, man, this guy's done nothing but win. DJ, it reminds me a lot of Jimmy Johnson going from the University of Miami and taking over the Dallas Cowboys. And there were a lot of hurricanes that were in the league, and a lot of hurricanes that could co-sign on his methods and those things. And there were hurricanes on the Dallas team, and that those guys were core players that help that thing kind of flip. And so I just believe Urban Meyer's confidence, his unwavering belief in his process and program, he would have success. And I know people are going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've heard that before. We've seen these college coaches fail. Uh, Nick Saban wasn't able to turn around the Miami Dolphins. But I'll say, if you go back and look closely at those Miami Dolphins teams, um, the mistake on the quarterback, the Dante Culpepper, Drew Brees thing or whatever, didn't work out. But even then, they were trending the right way. So I, I just believe that those guys understand how to get it done and they will find a way to get it done. And it's just about hiring the right coaches for him to do it because he's the visionary. And I think it's important to have someone who has the vision and understands the process that's needed to get it uh, to go from dream to fruition. I'm trying to find the age. I'm looking up the age of Jimmy Johnson when the Cowboys hired him, because I think that is absolutely the perfect comparison. Uh, I think Jimmy Johnson might've been a little bit younger, um, at that time, but I haven't, I haven't been able to, Oh, here it is. Uh, Jerry Jones, a longtime friend and said, so 
Jerry Jones and him played together. So I think Jerry Jones was 46 when they hired him. So he had to have been. He was 46. Jimmy Johnson was 46 when he took over the Dallas Cowboys. I just looked it up on. Uh, All right. How, how, let's see. How, Urban's got to be early 50s. Urban Meyer is 56. So he's a little bit older, but still, I mean, even, even I'm telling you, even if and Urban has kind of had this track record of going obviously hard and he's had these health issues pop up. If you told me right now, Urban Meyer is going to be your coach for the next four years, done. Four years, I'll, I'll establish a whole a whole culture here. Uh, we'll win a whole lot of football games, and hopefully you have the, the next guy groomed on staff to take over. But, I mean, he's 56 is still young, man, for a coach. Still, still, still very young. And I know the demands are different or whatever, but I just believe that those guys understand it. You know, they, they, they kind of understand the process. They know how to flip it and get it going. And I think, DJ, we've been privy to a lot of conversations over the last couple of years with a lot of coaches. And I think the common denominator between the coaches that we've talked to, one, they all were extremely successful. But I think when we hung up the phone or they clicked off and we it was just us, we were like, yep, I can understand why they win. (laughs) I can understand why they win. Everybody that we've had come through when they talked about it, from Brian Kelly, Urban Meyer, Mac Brown, Dabo Sweeney, uh, James Franklin and others, there is something about like their clear vision we saw with Jamie Chadwell from Coastal Carolina when he came on. Yeah, I mean, like all those guys, like, I mean, Satterfield, like yep. they understand exactly what they're looking for. And we can talk about, well, yeah, that's college. College is different. Like, no, I really don't think. I mean, the players are a little older, but it's the same. Like, it, it's, it's the same stuff. The football is the same. Like, it is about building a program that enables guys to be at their best when it's required. And so I believe some guys understand how to do that. And in some of these situations that we see, I would rather take my chances on someone who is a proven program builder than a guy who I'm trying to hope can do that from being a coordinator on offense or defense to to oversee an entire operation. You hit him with the question, what's your culture like? Did he stutter? Boom. Nope. (laughs) Here's here's the other thing, DJ, because I'll I'll have a a little confession. Um, I am fascinated by the leadership stuff. I happened to click on a podcast that he uh, co-hosts with a guy, Tim Kite. And it was funny. I was listening to it because he was talking about turnaround a program or whatever. DJ, he said the same exact things. Yeah. Right. The same exact things, the same alignment. So the reason I bring that up, uh, I had a chance. We had Matt Rule come and, and talk to us on the podcast. I happened to get invited to a webinar that he was putting on. He said the same exact stuff. And so when things are aligned, you have a a, a belief. Oh, these guys really believe what they're saying. Like, this is not just, oh, coach speak. I'm standing in front of a clinic. Like, they truly believe it. And you can tell because it's not, oh, a PowerPoint presentation. It's the core values that they really believe in. Hey, tough, hardworking, competitive. This is what we do. This is how we play. All those things. And I think it takes time because you don't have it right away your first job. But I think over time, you know exactly what it is. And I think it's easy to put it in place. Yep. No doubt. He knows who he is and what he's about, and it works. Um, all right, anything you want to add before we get out of here, Buck? No, nah, that was a good one, man. I, th- I think anytime we have an opportunity to talk about, like, the team-building discussion, because I think it's important, that's what we have always wanted to be. Like, the leadership part, the team-building part, like, that's the part of the process that lured us into scouting initially and why we continue to want to share those lessons with the listeners. If you were a betting man, what were the odds that I was not going to bring up the Padres during this podcast today? Uh, I knew it was no chance because I, I I saw they made a couple of different moves. And because you're so fascinated with your own team, 
the Padres and how they're oh, building it saying? and how they're committing to pitching. I will say this. I will say this. And I know like your baseball buddies come on and I need to tap into some of that. I do believe this and I would love to, to talk to them about it. So my experience, I am not a Braves fan, right? I'm not a Braves fan, but growing up in North Carolina, the Braves were the only team in town in terms of being able to watch them on TV. Mm. But I watched how the Braves and we talked to John Smoltz about this. The Braves lorded over their division because they had dominant pitching. Yep. And so, I mean, just titles after titles after titles when it came to division titles. I'm looking at your little Padres continue to add these arms to the war chest. And there's something to it, particularly with like the analytical slant and the way people are going there. There is something to it. I'm not saying as a Dodgers fan that I'm nervous, but I'm mindful of what's going on down down the road. I'm just mindful you watch the Dodgers are going to trade for like Arenado. They're going to do something big. That's what they do. They answer. That's because you make them do it. That's why. Yeah. Because if you wouldn't keep adding right. to the war chest, right now. you wouldn't keep adding. So now, now you have to do we, it. We might be we might be little brother, but I think we are the second best team in in uh, in the National League, if not all of baseball right now. And and they're they're pushing the Dodgers. The Dodgers might take their game even up to a whole nother level. But it's fun to actually be a fan of a team that's in the fight. Like we're not just going to take it here. We're going to try and compete and try and fight. Another thing, other, other thing I want to give you real quick, last baseball thing, and then we'll get out of here. Um, as a Padre fan, I saw a thing circulating yesterday. So Tatis, Fernando Tatis, probably, I would say it's not really even arguable, is the most exciting player in baseball mm-hmm. who's going mm-hmm. to be the face of this sport for yeah. probably the next decade. Buck, he's playing winter ball in the Dominican right now, laying out, going over the fence, like catching balls. He's after the game was over, they won their little series. They're all, he's with all the guys dancing in the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Like I was thinking just that little lesson there, like, man, find somebody that loves football the way this dude loves just playing baseball. So it's funny. We didn't talk about this. Maybe we can talk about it on the, on the next podcast. Like we didn't talk about Dwayne Haskins and that stuff on that, but it made me think a lot about, that stuff in terms of like, what can I learn from the entire evaluation or whatever? Find someone who loves it. And if I'm a team builder, I want the person that I'm entrusting to love it and be invested in winning as much as I am invested in winning. And I think with Tatis, I think that is what you talk about. And that is why as a fan, you absolutely love him because he is invested as you are in the yep. Padres success. All right, put a pin in that. We're going to we're going to hit that on the next episode. We're going to have another episode coming up here in a couple of days and uh, we'll continue on that conversation professional tease by Bucky Brooks. All right, that's going to do it for us. Thank you guys so much for listening to Move the 6. We'll catch you next time right here. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.